Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, uh, chapter 17, 1 through 19, and 21 through 23. It can be found in your bulletin on page 4 and 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. Good to be with you today. I feel like I'm going to be your substitute teacher for the summer. Please be nice to the substitute teacher. All right. No uh, pranks and uh, spitballs or anything like that. My hope is to do just enough so that when Eric comes back, everybody says, well, thank God that's over. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I, I, I look forward to our time together, and if there's ways that I could serve you personally and get to know you over the summer, um, let me know. I would love to, love to be a service. Well, it's been a rough season. I mean, obviously the pandemic has been a huge and stressful mess, but now we've got war in Ukraine and rising inflation, and I don't know how it's like for you personally, but I just feel like a lot of people I speak with are just worn down. They are anxious. They are discouraged. They are exhausted. They are stressed out. Like, I don't know 
how, again, your little community around you, but I just feel like I hear so much of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts, trouble with youth and families. And so my guess is that you are walking in today with some level of discouragement or exhaustion. We just need some encouragement. And I pray that today's message might be an encouragement for you. As Eric mentioned, we are approaching Good Friday, pumped, Easter, yes, Uh, and we've been looking at John 17. You might recognize that John 13 through 16, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure. He is going to the cross. This is his last night with his disciples, and he has, through that section, been seeing the cross from the perspective of the disciples. How is this going to affect them. But we get to John 17, and in this prayer, it's as if the perspective zooms way out, and now we look at the cross from the perspective of the Father. We see how Jesus talks to his Father as he goes to the cross. Sometimes I think it's really fun to listen in on someone else's conversation. You're not trying to be rude. You're not necessarily trying to eavesdrop, but it's just kind of like, oh, you know, just listening in. And wouldn't it be fun to be a fly on a wall in some high-powered boardroom or the presidential Oval Office just eavesdropping in on what all these important people are talking about? Well, that's kind of what we get here. We get to eavesdrop on a conversation between God the Son And God the Father, like, what do they talk about, right? (laughs) The Godhead, what do they talk about? Well, we get a glimpse into that inner dialogue, that inner dynamic of the Trinity. What does God the Son say to God the Father in the hours before the cross? Well, I hope what he says might be, again, an encouragement to us. I'm just going to survey briefly uh, in broad strokes, what is this prayer? A few things we'll notice. We notice that Jesus has been sent by the Father. In verse 8, verse 18, you sent me, you sent me into the world. He has been sent on a mission. And verse 4 says, and he got the job done. This is it. He's going to finish things up. He will have accomplished his mission. The picture is he enjoyed glory with the Father He was sent on a mission. He's finishing that mission. And now he's going to go back to that glory with the Father. And what is that mission? It is to give eternal life. That's what he's been sent to do. But not just eternal life to any and everybody as it were. Instead, Jesus says he is to give it to those whom the Father had given to Jesus. We see that. Verse 6, to the people whom you gave me, yours they were, you gave them to me. Verse 9, I'm praying for those whom you have given me, they are yours. And what is this eternal life that he's going to give to those whom the Father has given to him? It is to know God. To know God, to know Jesus. And not just to cognitively know about, like we're going to just teach you things. It is to know as in relationships, as in a personal connection, like I know my wife and my children. Eternal life is to know God. But how will we do that? We see it's through Jesus. 
that Jesus is the revelation of God, that the invisible God has become visible. The God beyond perception, beyond our reach has now come in so that we can see him, we can perceive him. And that's what we see earlier throughout this gospel of John. That's, that's a theme here, John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Jesus is how we see and know God. We see that coming out even in this prayer. Verse 6, I've manifested your name. I've revealed your character, Father. Verse 8, I have given them the words you gave me. See, what we, this little hint in John 8 is, uh, John 17, is throughout the gospel of John that Jesus reveals the Father. Verse chapter 5, Jesus says the Son does nothing out of his own accord. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Chapter 7, my teaching is not mine. It's his who sent me. Chapter 8, I don't do anything on my own authority. I just speak as the Father taught me. I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father says. I am the word become flesh, revealing the glory of the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. And what's the purpose of all of this? What's the, how does Jesus pray? What's the main thing, starting verse 1? Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I've glorified you, verse 4, verse 5. I've glorified you. Now, Father, glorify me. At the cross of shame is an instrument of divine glory. Eternal life is to see that Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is God who had glory with the Father long before the world existed, but was sent by the Father to reveal the Father to those given to him by the Father so that he could glorify the Father. Any, any, anyone catching anything here? Jesus is all about the Father. This is all about the Father. Or to put it succinctly, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's what we see. I and the Father are one. Now from this prayer, I just want to draw out four lessons for us today. Number one, it's not about us. It's about God. We tend to center our spiritual stories around, you know, we were struggling with guilt or we're struggling with anxiety and God offered us forgiveness and offered us security and strength. Or we were looking for love, longing to be loved and, and God offers us unconditional, committed, faithful love. And that is good. That is a good story. That is, those are our stories. But I'm going to suggest, as we listen in on Jesus' prayer, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they have a different story. Their story goes like this. From before, we had a plan. And the Father's going to send the Son to accomplish that plan, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to redeem and forgive and adopt those who were once enemies. And he's going to send the Spirit 
so that the Spirit would point us back to the Father and to the Son. And then when he's done, he's going to go back to the Father and enjoy glory with him. That was the plan. Jesus executed the plan, accomplished the plan, all to his glory. You see, our salvation didn't start with us. Our salvation doesn't end with us. This is God's story for his glory. And I wanted to suggest that that is a great comfort to us. Because we're not saved because we got it right and we tried so hard and we went to church and we signed up to bring refreshments on Easter Fest. And we, uh, you know, like we did all these good things and we, we, you know, we like, we actually grew in our character and we became a little more kind. And that, that's not how it happened. Because you see, if that is the story, the problem is, well, what if you get it wrong? <laughs> or what if you don't try hard enough? Or what if you stumble? What if you fail? But if we are saved because God had a plan and God executed the plan and God will get the glory for the plan, then you see the comfort is God never messes up. God never fails. God cannot fail. God will not deny himself the glory he deserves. We have a foundation in God's committed purpose. That's a lot stronger than anything we might hope to accomplish for ourselves. Years ago, there was a show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I don't know if any of us saw this. Maybe some of the young kids maybe haven't. But it lasted nine seasons. So there's a chance maybe you saw this thing. Where there was a needy family, usually gone through some crisis of some sort. A really sad story. And they live in a small, dilapidated house. And then they would come in, ask the family to leave. They would completely redesign, expand, renovate, refurnish the whole house in one week. Then they would bring the family back and there'd be this big reveal, you know, the truck moves and they see the house. I'm like, oh my goodness. And they see this beautiful, amazing, personalized dream house. And they're all like, you know, crying and they're overwhelmed and their kids are jumping around and it's just this overwhelming, like, I can't believe, pinch myself. Is this really happening? Is this my house now? Well, I want you to imagine... If houses could speak, what would that house say? The house would say, I'm just a broken down, messed up house. I'm too small. I'm too old. I leak. I'm damaged. No matter how much I sweep the floor or clean the bathroom, I'm still kind of a mess. Like it just never looks good. It's always kind of dingy. That's just no matter how hard I try. But then Ty Pennington comes, the Extreme Milkweaver crew comes, and they come in and say, we got a plan. We got a team. We're getting it done. Boom. See, the story isn't how you fixed yourself up, right? The story is someone else had a plan. Someone else came in, rescued, renovated, redesigned, refurnished, transformed everything. And the great thing is our rescuer is far wiser, stronger, far richer than even the extreme makeover team 
and his work will be more amazing and wondrous and overwhelming than anything we could ever imagine. Years ago, I remember um, membership class, we asked people to write their testimonies. This guy titled it, The Grace of God as Revealed in the Life of John Smith. That's the story. This is God's story revealed in our story for his glory. Not about us. Number two, God is love. As we eavesdrop in on this divine conversation, we, we get a little sense of the interaction, of the relationship with the Father and the Son, right? This is Jesus is praying for his glory so that he can glorify the Father. He has glorified the Father on earth, and now, Father, will you glorify the Son? The Father sent the Son. The Son has manifested the Father to those whom the Father has given to him from the world. He spoke what the Father spoke. He did what the Father did so that they could see who the Father is. And then we also know that the Son then sent the Spirit who reminds us of what the Son had said, who gives glory to the Son and gives glory to the Father. What do we see amongst the Godhead? We see these three persons honoring and serving and glorifying one another. There's this, this circle of deference and worship and honor. Cornelius Plantinga, a theologian, says, the persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, defer to one another. God's interior life overflows with regard for others. That there is within the Godhead serving, honoring, loving one another. It is that God in his being, it's not that God just loves, that he in his ontological essence is love. Like that's who he is. The Father, Son, Spirit, that's, that's just, that's like how he's made. Can't even say that, right? That's just how he's wired. I mean, that's who he is. He is Love. And I think, I mean, this, is, this was a new thought for me. A lot of times we look at the cross and we see it is a picture of love. It is God, a demonstration of God's love for us. And that is good and that is right and that is true. But in this prayer, we get to the sense that this is not just a picture of God's love for us. This is a picture of the triune Godhead. Loving, honoring, glorifying one another. It's not even about us. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, loving, serving, glorifying one another. God is love. But the amazing thing is we are included. We are included. And it's, I, I, like, I, I mean, I would say, and it's true to say, you know, this, 
this love within the triune Godhead then overflows and extends to those whom he created, those whom he called to himself. And we receive that love that generates from God in his very being. But it's not even just, notice um, chapter 7, verse 21, 23. Jesus prays, Father, you are in me and I in you. Like we're united. We are, we are one. Father, you are in me, I in you, that they may be in us. That they may be in us. The glory you have given me, I've given them, that they may be one as we are one. Hey, Father, Son, Spirit, you know, we got this really, this one thing going on. May they be one. And what kind of oneness is that? I in them and you in me. May they become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. What is, what is this? He, he's saying, in one sense, our unity with one another is a reflection of the unity of the triune Godhead. That's a mighty prayer because <laughs> I don't know that that's always what we see, like that kind of unity amongst the people of God. Lord, help us. But, but beyond that, I think it's saying not only do, are we to reflect God's unity, it's we are to participate in that unity. Because he's saying, saying, you and me, I in you, they in us, like like I picture this like really small table. There are three seats, you know, Father, Son, Spirit. They're all like all tight. They're all close. They pull up another chair and say, hey, you also in us. As if the Trinity is now going to become a, like a foursome. Because we are at the table. Like I feel it's almost blasphemous. To say, all right, son, spirit, father, here, move on. Yeah, I'm just going to join the triune Godhead. Like, what the? That we will be part of that loving unity. What God will accomplish through Jesus is far more than we can possibly imagine. Number three, Jesus prayed, thy will be done. What did Jesus pray? Notice, it's interesting. Jesus' prayer isn't so much trying to persuade the Father. Oh, come on, Dad, please. You know, like, like that's not the tone we get. Rather, rather Jesus' prayer is already in alignment with what the Father has already wanted. He's just praying what the plan had always been. He's not trying to change anything. He is instead expressing alignment. He said, glorify the Son. The Son may glorify you. I mean, that was the plan from the beginning. Uh, those whom you've given me, I've given them your word. I've kept them. Now I'm leaving you keep them. Like that was, Jesus didn't have to convince the Father. Oh, come on. Please take care of the disciples, right? He said, no, they're yours to begin with. You gave them to me. Jesus is praying what had always been the plan. 
In the garden of Gethsemane, a few hours later, Jesus prayed, If you are willing, Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Lord's Prayer, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus has a thy will be done prayer. I want to take a moment to talk about prayer. I think there is a place for honest prayers. We come as we are, which isn't always pretty. It isn't always even godly, but that's just where we're at. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm jealous. I'm anxious. I have doubts. Whatever it is, we come to God as we are. And the encouraging thing is that the psalm is filled with honest prayers, that we can bring all of that to Jesus. And Jesus himself, we mentioned, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Right? That's an honest prayer. I don't want to go to the cross. In one sense, Jesus is saying, humans, I don't want to go to the cross. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. But Jesus continues, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus taught and Jesus modeled. We are to pray, thy will be done. But here's the thing. Sometimes there's a journey between that honest prayer and the thy will be done prayer. But when we get there to the thy will be done, it's no longer trying to convince the Father of something. It's we are now aligned with what he wants, what his purpose, his goal, his aim, his desire. It is a have your way, Lord. Have your way, have your way in me. That is what I think it means to pray in Jesus' name. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It is to pray as his representative, in his stead, according to his purpose, his desire, his goal, his purposes. It's like saying, uh, I'm the representative of the king. In the name of the king, go no farther. You know, I don't know. In the name of, the, in the name of my country, Stop bombing us. You know, I don't know. It's, it's to speak as the representative of another. Uh, G.F. Hawthorne says, to pray in the name of Jesus, to ask anything in his name, is to ask something from God as Christ's representative on earth, in his mission, in his stead, in his spirit, with his aim. That to pray in Jesus' name is to pray what Jesus wants for Jesus' purpose for Jesus' glory as his representative. And Jesus said, whatever you pray in my name to the Father, it will be given you. I want to give some examples of what this could mean. Where we start with honest prayers, and then we move to praying in his name. Thy will be done. Might be, um, Lord, I'm stuck in traffic. I am going to be late, and I am stressed. Lord, you parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. Part the 405. <laughs> or part the 5. Or part whatever highway causes you pain and anguish. You know, <laughs> Lord, you can make a way. Make a way, Lord, please. That is an honest prayer. That, and it is good to turn to the Lord when you're stuck in traffic. There are much less godly possible responses <laughs> to that situation. So crying out to the Lord is a good one. That is our honest prayer. We start with our honest prayer.
prayers, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to end there. What would it look like to pray, thy will be done? It might mean, Lord, as I reflect, you probably don't care that much that I'm going to be a little bit late. You're not stressing out, going, oh, no, like the way I am. No, you're probably more concerned about how I am when I arrive. You care less about the arrival time and you care more about the condition of my heart, who I am when I get there, whenever that might be. You care that instead of worrying about what people are going to think about me for being late, that I would care for them. That I would think of them. That I would love them. You care more about me being loving than me being late. And so, Lord, thy will be done. Help me to be more concerned about being loving than being late. Help me to be loving more than being punctual. Have your way in me. We start with an honest prayer. But prayer is a journey to take us to the, in Jesus' name, thy will be done. Have your way in me. Or maybe it looks like you have a difficult boss or coworker or family member. Someone who is self-centered, unfair, pushy, condescending, rude, immature, pick your derogative adjective, you know, whatever you want. And you might say, Lord, fix that person (laughs) or remove that person or do something. Change that person. Just save me from this very terrible relationship. And there might be feelings of indignance and self-pity and maybe anger and resentment. And you might, you might join like Psalm 10. Break the arm of the evil and the wicked. Break their arm, Lord. Just coming honestly, you know, before the Lord. And it's good to start with our honest prayers. But that doesn't mean that's where we're supposed to end. What would it look like to pray, thy will be done? And you might say, Lord, Lord, I know you do love me. I know you see me. But more than wanting me to be comfortable, you want me to become Christ-like. You want me to grow in patience, in forgiveness, in graciousness, just like you have been patient and gracious to me. You want me to learn how to love those who are hard to love just like you loved someone like me. You loved me this way and you're trying to shape me to be like that for others. Have your way. Have your way in me. Thy will be done. Jesus prayed, thy will be done. If you could remove this cup, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. Have your way in me. Jesus was one with the Father. 
and he invites us to the same. Well, we said that this is not about us. This is about God. But my last point is, actually, it is about us, too. We're included. Because what is this plan about? Jesus came so that we could know God. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. We could be reconciled. We could be adopted. Jesus was raised to life so that we could have new life with God. We, this was the plan to rescue us because Jesus loves us. If I were to paraphrase part of Jesus' prayer, I would say it this way. I say, Father, I'm praying for my followers. I'm no longer going to be with them. I'm coming to you. But they're still going to be here in the world, in a world that hates them, just like they hated me. Father, Father, please, please protect them. Please keep them. While I was with them, I kept them in your word, in your, in your name. I guarded them. But now I'm not going to be with them. I'm coming to you. And I'm not going to take that, ask that you take them out of the world, but I'm, I'm asking that you protect them, that you keep them from the evil one. You sanctify them in the truth. That in these final hours before Jesus goes to the cross, his heart is for his disciples. Have you ever, like, overheard, almost by accident, someone else is just, like, earnestly praying for you? We get to overhear Jesus as he's praying. He's saying, Father, just take care of my boys. Take care of my boys, please. What resonates with me is uh, I, I, my oldest went off to college. My second is going to college. And, uh, you know, as a parent, there's a, I'm not going to be there. I, I, not, I can't take care of them. So Lord, please, take care of them. There was a woman at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA who happened to call the church office. I think she just found some church. I, I don't know that any of us really knew each other, but she had come down from Bakersfield to get some cancer treatment. And it was pretty serious. But she wasn't so afraid of dying for herself. She had a daughter, a special needs daughter. There's no dad in the picture. It's just the two of them. And she said, you know, could you pray for my daughter? Because I'm the only one that took care of her. And now I'm dying. I want so much to live because if I go, who's going to take care of my little daughter? Humanly speaking, that's what I hear in Jesus. Father, I'm coming back. Take care of my boys. They were yours to begin with. You gave them to me. They're yours. You watch over them because they're in a world that hates them the way they hated me.
Romans 8 says that even now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. I don't know what burdens you may have had coming into church today, but I hope you would be comforted. You are part of God's story for God's glory. God doesn't mess up. God doesn't forget. God doesn't go, oops, oh well. God cannot fail. The Father, Son, Spirit, the kind of unity and love and deference that they share with each other, it is his essence to love. And that includes you. Not just to receive love, but to join the table that we might be in them, in him as the Father and the Son are in one another. What what is that? And that oneness that Jesus had with the Father shows in his prayers. He prayed, thy will be done. Have your way, Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, have your way. And Jesus' prayer is for you. Father, take care of my boys. Take care of my girls. I wish so much I could stand beside them, but I got to come back to you. I'll send them my spirit, and I pray on their behalf. Take care of my kids. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard to understand your triune nature. It's hard to understand that kind of oneness and deference and unity. And yet, Lord, your united purpose is to save us. Your united, committed purpose is to bring us home to you. And on that rock, Lord, we stand. And on that rock, Lord, we join in that fellowship. And we receive your love. We believe that we are indeed united to Christ. That you are in us. And we are in you even as you invite us into the fellowship of the Godhead. Lord, teach us to pray honest prayers. But as we are united to you, Lord, lead us to pray in alignment with your purpose. Thy will be done. And Lord, even today, we come with honest prayers. Lead us to a thy will be done. Have your way. And we are comforted in knowing that your heart is for your children. Your heart is for us. And even now, as we turn to you, we see you praying for us. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith as we turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.